So, Jiao, don't you just love it when you are, you know, going about your week, you have plans for the week, you know what projects are going to be working on, and you pretty much have it all figured out, and then a bombshell drops that changes the week and the week after, and then you find yourself doing other things. How are you doing, Jiao? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm fine, Jay. As always, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Hello, everybody who's joining in. Um, yeah, this week has been interesting. Lots of, I would say, lots of interesting news. But no, it's actually just one piece of news that's been making the rounds and it's getting everybody on the open source world kind of riled up about. And probably with good reason. So, yeah, let's get into this. You know, I do want to just bring up one quick point that's a very fascinating aspect of this story. Um, the majority of the Linux community agrees on something. Let that sink in for a minute, okay? <laughs> the majority of the Linux community agrees on something. Now, keep in mind I said majority, so if you disagree with, or if you do agree with Red Hat, obviously uh, there's two sides of the story, but I, I think this is one of the situations, it might even be the only one, where the majority of um, the Linux community agrees on something. Uh, joking yeah. aside, and I'm trying to keep this light and fun yeah. because sometimes when you have a anxiety about or maybe not anxiety but you just are covering something that um risks putting a bruise on your forehead due to all the face palms i, I think you got to have to poke a little fun at things but unfortunately it's not a fun funny enjoyable situation for the enterprise which is yeah. you know our audience and who we're talking to so what i think we could probably do is is give a quick summary of what's going on because I feel like uh, probably 75% of our audience is probably sick of summaries because every website's reporting on it. But we still have to catch the 25% or so that uh, might not be up to date. You know, people that have an actual life, unlike us, apparently. Um, you know, the cool people. we got to talk to them. Uh, we're all cool, actually. But here's a quick summary. And there's a blog article on my website. There's stories all over the Internet. You, you could find this. Long story made short, as we've discussed many times, downstream distributions like Alma Linux, Rocky Linux, and others, they recompile Red Hat Enterprise Linux source code to make their product. And CentOS itself started as exactly that and became owned by Red Hat. So this is a, a thing that's like a system that's existed for uh, eons uh, it, when it comes to enterprise IT. It's always been that way until it isn't. And now they're putting effectively a paywall in front of those individuals that have projects that are recompiling Red Hat. And at first, you know, the, the easy answer here is yes, they can do this. It's they own the trademark and everything. And that's not the question. I want to get that out of the way. Can they do this is not something at least I'm going to debate. Should they do it? Is it a bad idea? But more importantly, how it impacts the enterprise is essentially what we want to focus on in this particular podcast episode for the majority of it. Yeah. So a couple of things I need to get out before getting into this. All of what I'm saying is just my own opinion. It doesn't make it in any way my companies or it doesn't in any way reflect on any of the projects. I used to, to cooperate with the Alma Linux project way back when it launched. I no longer do for quite some time. I have no influence in the project at all. I just have a lot of friends there. Um, I have absolutely no relationship with it. What I'm going to say today 
is only my opinion, nobody else's. I need to get this before because this touches on a lot of sensitive stuff and I don't want to get people, to give people the wrong impression. Um, okay, <laughs> Red Hat has quite a history in open source, right? They're one of the big names in open source. They're the home for many interesting projects in open source. They've always been there. They're basically synonymous with lots of stuff like Ansible and all of that. They're great. They've been doing great work with open source. They have amazing people working there. It's important to say this at a time when people are not happy with something they decided to do, justifiably in my opinion, but not being happy with them. But regardless, lots of great people working there, lots of great people at Red Hat. They made, in my opinion, a really poor decision, another very poor decision related to CentOS and source code. Let's take this back and try to, to give some context to this. Way back when I started working in IT and started dabbling in Linux, the first distribution I worked on was Red Hat Linux. Just to, to frame you, this is the distribution that eventually got discontinued, got rebranded as RHEL and started being sold by Red Hat while Fedora was announced. So back at the time, I didn't realize the importance of that shift, but they took something that had an established user base and they essentially started charging money for it. And they gave something that was basically a test bed for the stuff that would eventually make it into RHEL which was Fedora, which was a community, which had the, the Linux distribution, which had the, the early versions of stuff that would eventually make it into Red Hat, Red Hat Linux proper. Um, this is like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't want to think about this in terms of years, but more than 20 years ago, it just makes me feel yeah. old. Fast forward many years, many different names for Fedora, Fedora Core, RHEL had many iterations, many different versions of this. And at some point, CentOS was created. And CentOS was created because people were looking for a RHEL alternative that was cheaper. Remember that RHEL at the time was quite expensive. There weren't so many op options out there to get an enterprise-grade distribution that was stable enough for some workloads, and it was quite expensive to get it. I'm not justifying anything here, because one of the complaints that Red Hat used in their announcement of this was that, oh, people just don't want to pay for stuff, they just want free stuff. That's besides the point. Um, CentOS was a project that was created. It would basically rebuild Red Hat, debrand it, distribute it, and people realized that it was a great option to have that available. And it was great to have that reliability and all of that. And eventually, Red Hat saw that there was lots of people using CentOS. So again, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. There was some shenanigans and they took control of CentOS. Okay, They essentially bought out CentOS. So they acquired CentOS and it was under their wing and they promised there would be no changes. They would continue to release CentOS to the community and all of that. And a few years after that, they stopped seeing the value in that. So they changed the way things were being done. And they absolutely fumbled the way that they announced that. They absolutely messed up the changes around that. And they fumbled it so much that there were two distributions being supported at the time. There was Red, uh, CentOS 7, there was CentOS 8. They slashed support on CentOS 8 that was initially 10 years to just 
two years or a bit under two years. It, it was actually like, just over one. It's like 400 something days when I did the math. Whatever. It's crazy. It, it, it was incredible. And they didn't do that for CentOS 7. So the guys that didn't update would actually continue to have support on CentOS 7 for a few more years other than the ones that were on CentOS 8, which blows the mind how they even thought that this would be taken by the community. Again, they totally messed up the communication around it. Even if there was, it was theirs to do as with, with as they pleased, they really messed up this and they lost a lot of trust from the, the community and from the enterprises that were using CentOS. Remember that CentOS was free. This didn't doesn't demean the product. This doesn't make it less useful or more useful or whatever. It's a different product. It fills a niche. Companies see that and they use whatever fills their needs and meets their needs. So if it was CentOS, that was what companies were using. Keep in mind that large companies they will have support agreements with RHEL. They might not have all of their systems running RHEL. They might have a few running CentOS. They have, I don't know, testing environments. They have workstations. They have even production systems that they don't require the same level of support for that they need on others. So they will get the RHEL licensing agreement for some of their core systems and not for all of them. And as far as I know, that does not go against the terms of service of RHEL. To put things into perspective, imagine you have a large fleet of servers, 20,000, 30,000 servers, an upgrade, an upgrade window for so many different systems is something that will take over a year to prepare and execute. When they announced that slashing of support with CentOS 8, some companies were midway on their migration to CentOS 8. Uh, they were on 7 or 6 and they were migrating their systems to 8. Halfway through, with that announcement, they had to immediately scramble and decide again. So they had some half their systems running a new version and the other ones were looking for alternatives and all of that. So there was a need for that type of operating system. A reliable, enterprise-ready, trustworthy operating system, which had been at this point had been a role filled by CentOS. Of course, people would be looking for alternatives. And a couple of projects sprang up that provided that alternative. Namely Alma Linux, namely Rocky, there were others, Oracle also has a, something in the game at this point. So there were alternatives and this is what came into being. I was listening to Mike McGrath, which is the VP of, of Core Engineering at Red Hat, the guy who wrote the blog posts about this change, and with, which I urge everybody to read. Those blog posts are basically cringeworthy, some of the wording in there, but that's my take on it. I Put would, on your forehead pillow before you read yeah, it. Yeah, you're going to be smashing your head pretty hard. We'll get into that. Um, but I was listening to a podcast that, was recorded you know, a couple of days ago and he was being asked about the change and the direction and all of that and their reasoning for doing something like this was that they stopped seeing the value in having the, the free rebuilds so obviously he was asked immediately then at some point you saw some value in having those free rebuilds around what changed and the argument there kind of makes me question if they are aware of how Red Hat, of the value of the Red Hat market. It's not intrinsic to Red Hat itself. Red Hat 
is valuable because it's large. It's a large ecosystem. It has a large deployed installation base. But that installation base is not only comprised of rail installations. I'm going to throw a number here in the air, but I don't think rail itself accounts for half that deployed user base. There are many more CentOS, there are many more Alma, Rocky, Oracle, Scientific, Euro, Linux, all of the, the, the distros that were based on it make up that whole ecosystem. And it's an ecosystem because applications that target one will run on the others. So as a developer, you have a large target when you're creating code for by essentially killing off all the, the distributions around it, they're going to be left with just the rail deployed user base. Not now, not tomorrow, but in a few months, in a few years, they're going to shut it off so much that the developer is going to look at the deployed user base and they're not going to see the value in developing for that, for that platform. They're probably going to look at other Linux distributions. There are countless Linux distributions out there. Rails in... Rails value is not intrinsic to itself. It's about the ecosystem. And this move totally kills off that ecosystem. So the change that they did, it stems from the change that they did with CentOS two years ago. They essentially created CentOS Stream at the time. At the time, people, good people inside of Red Hat probably warned them that that was a poor move. Some people that went so far as to say inside of Red Hat that CentOS Stream was not a replacement for CentOS. And it's not. It stopped being that stable distribution, that point-in-time distribution to being basically changed every single day. You'll get updates every day if you deploy CentOS Stream. That's not entirely the goal of an enterprise distribution. Um, so they essentially cut off access to git uh, centos.org so they're not going to be publishing the, the source code for specific point in time um, versions of centos that doesn't doesn't stop rebuilders that just makes their life harder um, there are other ways to get around it I'll talk about a few in a, further along the episode I've been talking for renting for quite a while now but it um, but essentially, essentially, the the change is that they stopped giving access to the source code of the stuff that they have on Rail, unless you're a paying customer. Um, essentially, what you said, they paywalled the source code. Now, I'm not a lawyer. Always wanted to say that. Uh, GPL itself apparently makes allowances for that. As long as you make the source code available to your customers, you you're not required to release the source code for everybody. Um, there's two things there. First, there's the letter of the law, which is the, the GPL, what's written in the GPL, and then there's the spirit of the law. Um, while they don't countermand the, the letter of the law by giving access just to the people who are paying customers, it really goes against the spirit of GPL to restrict the access to the source code that way, at least in my view. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement. And there, there's a lot of things to individually take a look at here. Now, it might not seem like this has anything to do with the point, but I, I promise it does. Um, in 2017, <clears throat> excuse me, um, just so everyone is aware before I go any further, um, we are, there, there's wildfires going in Canada and we're not even close. In fact, we have the entire Great Lakes in between us here in Michigan and the wildfires, but 
we're actually getting smoke from it here. Like you look outside and, you know, so if I'm coughing, you know, sore throat. We have that. smoke. Sorry to interrupt you. We have smoke yeah. here in Portugal from the wildfires in Canada. So, yeah. whoa, please oh continue. Oh my God, this is, this is terrifying. <laughs> Hold that thought um, continue. Yeah, it's terrifying. Um, so my heart obviously goes out to anyone and everything that's, a, you know, all the animals, all the people, everything that's impacted by this. But uh, getting it back to my point, though, um, in 2017... I made the decision, a business decision, to make Learn Linux TV profitable. I wanted to do it in a way where, um, sure, I might have paid courses every now and then, but my primary export is the free videos on YouTube that people enjoy. But um, making it profitable, and that also included, you know, equipment, um, building the channel up, changing everything. Um, that started in 2017, and I feel like I'm just now getting to the point where I could say the way that the channel looks is the way that I wanted it to look. So a business decision took me, for, you know, by myself from 2017 until now to carry that out. Now that's just me, a one-person company, but in the enterprise, nothing happens quick, much in the same way. Sure, we're talking about enterprise IT. We're not the video recording uh, podcast or anything like that. But a business decision is a business decision. You plan it. You think about it, you carry it out, you take it one step at a time, and you're careful with it, it's strategic, you know what you want to get to, and you just take the steps to get there. There's no impulsivity in business. It never works. You can't just make a change and expect to snap your finger and all of a sudden it's the thing. You have to prepare for it. So in light of that, I could understand Red Hat having the opinion that, you know, maybe we're not profiting on this. I disagree with all of it, but I'm going to leave that out. Um, it just, you know, entertain the notion that maybe it, there is a legitimate issue here where they're not making money. Okay, here's how you handle that. You, first of all, you should be transparent. You approach your customer base and you say, this is what we found. This is the data that we found that backs this up. And this is, if we want to change our direction, um, companies do it all the time. Okay, companies are allowed to change direction. If they, and, they, and to be competitive, you have to change direction. I mean, look at um, Netflix going after streaming. Blockbuster tried to do the same thing, but too late. Where's Blockbuster now? There's one location. Netflix is huge. And sure, there's problems with Netflix, but that's not the point. Um, each decision a company makes will shape the future of the company and you have to make the right choice and change direction when it's time to do that you have to be you have to do that now when you know you need to change direction approach your customer base let them know like i was saying give them a timeline okay maybe red hat could have said something like in five years or insert number here we're going to stop allowing rebrands or rebuilds of our source our source our, excuse me our source code now, obviously, people are still going to have a problem with it, but right now we're targeting enterprise companies. Enterprise companies would appreciate having that transparency. Okay, they're making this change and this is the timeline. They knew they're going to make this change a long time ago, so they had plenty of time to let people know. In much the same way, when they said that they're taking away support for CentOS 8, they could have said, and this would have been probably better received, CentOS 8 is the last version of CentOS that's going to be made this way when the support window that we promised you of 10 years ends. That's what we're going to do. Instead, they pulled the carpet out from underneath enterprise companies. And that's the part that's the most egregious here. If you look at Red Hat's site, and you can go to it right now, redhat.com, 
tell me how many, I mean, play a drinking game or don't play a drinking game. I'm just hypothetical drinking game. Every time you see the word enterprise on their site, I guarantee you, you'll be hammered quick because they're all about the enterprise. It's all over their website, except there's a lot of negligence toward their customer base. They think it's okay to promise enterprise companies 10 years of support and take it away. Sure, they're giving something away for free, and someone might argue companies are taking something for free. They have no right to complain, but they do. It's not about it being free. It's about Red Hat said they were going to do X, but they did Y. Multiple times over the course of the history of Red Hat, we have them saying one thing, they end up doing another. They take the support away from CentOS 8 um, impulsively and quickly. They they make this decision suddenly without giving any enterprise companies a chance to prepare. And like you were saying, I think you were very, um, you know, very nice about this when you said like a year window to migrate from one operating system to another. It could take many, it could take longer than that, as you know. So you have companies that are making, that are, you know, going their own direction. You know, you have maybe have a customer of Red Hat. They, they're a company that does X, they're transitioning to this. So obviously they're doing a transition. They have a plan. And part of that plan is which distribution are we going to use on our servers while we do our business. Let's use CentOS 8 because it has a 10-year support window. That sounds like a good fit for us. That's what we're going to do. They align their company around this just to realize after, like you were saying, after making the change, oh, we have to change distributions again because CentOS Stream isn't what we want to use. And now think about how much money the original migration to CentOS 8 might have cost the company. And then to tell them they have to do this again, and Red Hat's going to think that enterprises are going to be like, oh, yeah, we don't mind uh, spend, you know, having another budget for a major transition. That's totally fine. We love to spend money. Um, no company, no enterprise ever says that. They plan these things. And when you have a vendor, which is what Red Hat is to enterprise companies, Red Hat is a vendor. Enterprises need to trust their vendors. Their vendors say they're going to do something, just like a vendor uh, that's a service provider might have a statement of work or something like that. Um, the promise of support is almost like a statement of work. It's a, it's something in the clear that's public and promised that they're going to base their company decisions on. And then they realize by using Red Hat, they can't trust what they're saying. Now, to me, that does not mean, oh, we better pay for RHEL. That means we can't trust Red Hat and we don't even know if RHEL is going to be IBM Enterprise Linux tomorrow. It can be, and I'm calling it now. Eventually it will be. But the situation is nobody can depend on them. And then you have companies that are building, you know, uh, network appliances. And and I'll let you have this point because it is your point. And I don't even know why I'm telling everyone your point. But you brought it up off camera that people are creating these set-top boxes, these IoT, whatever they're they're building. And now, what do they do? I mean, is there a way that they could make new firmware and have a drop-in upgrade? That's hard. Maybe there's going to be recalls, or they have to recall these products just because the, they weren't planning for a complete OS switchover. There's a lot of harm that this decision is doing. And if Red Hat would only have give, given a timeline and they were transparent to let people know ahead of time... I don't think there'd be nearly as much, uh, you know, anger about the situation if that was the case. I don't know. I think they have a, if not a decision problem, they have two things. 
incredibly bad communication skills and incredibly bad anticipation of how the community is going to react to a decision like this. And they've shown repeatedly that this is the case. Take the CentOS change, take this now, take other announcements that they have made. Um, let's get into the appliance side of it. There are going to be intended victims here and intended consequences here. They are specifically trying to target the ones that they labeled the, the freeloaders. And oh boy, <laughs> that's a, a rabbit hole that we're going to go through. But they're going to—they're trying to target the distributions, the, the freeloading distributions, the ones that, according to them, simply rebrand the code and slap their logos and then distribute it as, um, as something different. And they want to stop that. They initially started, oh, but we're not seeing contributions to CentOS and something like that, and we want more contributions. That's not how we're seeing, and that's not what we expect from CentOS. So we're going to make this change so that people go to stream and we start seeing some feedback from it. Obviously, that was BS. So on the second blog post that they made, they actually went ahead and they explained their reasoning a bit better and they were a bit more transparent of what they were trying to achieve with this, which was trying to stop the distributions that according to them were adding no value and were just rebranding their own source code that was, and this is incredible, paid by their development time. Um, just a quick aside here. There are hundreds of packages, of open source packages that go into RHEL. Um, I would like to know how much they have paid every single developer that ever wrote a contribution to each of those packages and how much they are being paid right now, because according to RHEL, uh, the freeloader distributions are not paying for the code that they are using. I would really love RHEL to, to answer that, uh, Red Hat to answer that. Uh, regardless, the, the unintended victims here, it's not just going to be the, the repackagers, the rebranders, whatever they want to call it. Um, if you're in front of your computer, this is a fun thing that you can try. Look for CentOS-based appliance, and you're going to see thousands and thousands of answers on that. And you're going to see networking stuff, you're going to see backup appliances, storage, security, firewall, lots of different equipment, and I'm just focusing on IT space here. There are an incredible amount of devices out there that are running on top of CentOS, specific versions of CentOS. The people creating the software for that are basically taking the sources from CentOS, repackaging them, adding a free a front-end web server or something like that that gets served from HTTPD, the standard package. They make no changes to the code of the distribution. It's exactly the same code of the distribution, but they slap their name and they slap their front-end to it and they upload it as a firmware. And you're saying, oh, but that's different because that's tied to hardware. No, it's not. You can basically <laughs> download the, the images to deploy in your virtual machines or in your bare metal servers and all of that. They just call it an appliance. Uh, they're distributing the operating system and they're distributing the front end for it. At some point, somebody at Red Hat is going to realize that, okay, we need to, sp to be more specific about what we consider a difference. What do you mean when you call somebody something a rebrand, even though they are changing, for example, the installer, they are changing the wallpapers, they are changing basic system configuration like that? or when you are simply packaging a web application with the, the operating system. Which one is more of a difference from the base CentOS than the other? Because right now, all of those are forbidden. Red Hat no longer su supports any of those scenarios. It's not just the freeloading distributions, it's also the appliance stuff. 
Now, why is this relevant for the enterprise world? Imagine that you're running a Fortinet appliance and all of a sudden you stop receiving updates for it. Fun world, huh? <laughs> Imagine you now have an, a firmware that's basically two or three gigabytes in size because you have to replace all the stuff that's on the on the device with a new operating system. And imagine how many bugged versions you got at the start until you finally got the stable one. Because that's the whole process that you are going to go through all over again if your vendor has to switch versions to a, has to switch distributions to another distribution to base off their stuff. There are lots of victims here that Red Hat, I hope, would wish had not intended for. Um, they really need to at least be more specific on what they consider to be something different as to as opposed to what it's just a rebrand. On the interview that I was listening, he got, he just said, "Oh, but uh, just make some changes, some optimizations to the kernel, something like this." Okay, is that what is required not to be considered um, just a copy? because you'll need to specify that. Right now, anything that they feel like is a copy is a copy. And that's dangerous. Yeah. I I completely agree with all of that. It's 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 this the, the situation is just so strange in many aspects because there's certain things about when you're in the Linux community, work with it or you know, you know about the Linux community, there's certain things you know about it. Like for one thing, reputation's eternal. Um and I'm not saying that's a good thing. I mean, it just seems to me like um, grudges are held in open source in Linux, maybe longer than others, or maybe it's just a mindset on my part. But I mean, you look at Ubuntu, for example, and people are still um, making fun of it because of the Amazon integration that hasn't even been in it for I don't even know how many years now, but people still come down on it for the same. And let's just say Red Hat was to... Say, okay, you know, we made a big mistake. We're going to undo all this. And you know what? Everything's just going to be the way it was. And let's just say they do the right thing. It, I mean, there's no coming back from this because they've already breached trust with their customers and the people that support them. If they do make the right choice now, people are still going to wonder if this is just another calm before the storm. And they still might not be accepting of that. I, I saw someone from Red Hat when asked about Ansible, saying something about on Twitter, what do you want us to do? Say Ansible is going to be open source forever and they, you know, and will never take the source back. And, you know, I replied to it <laughs> and maybe I was just one of my moods, but I said, well, honestly, I don't think anybody's going to trust anything Red Hat says at this point. I would sooner trust a snapping turtle for safety than I would trust Red Hat with a, uh, you know, a, a publication or announcement. I'm being honest and I'm not kidding. No offense to snapping turtles. They're actually pretty cool. But the point is, who's going to trust them now? You don't breach trust and then just go on like everything is fine. Because again, they can do this. Again, that's not the question. But the problem is they're throwing enterprise customers under the bus. And these people have been burned by Red Hat several times it's not a good idea for them to burn bridges any any more than they already are. They need to stop. They need to shut their mouths unless someone's going to um, take up writing PR announcements for them because apparently they're not good at this. Um, they're digging themselves in a hole. They're making a laughing stock of the Linux community. And here's another unintended consequence. Red Hat is increasing stigma against open source. Think about it. You already had stigma in open source. We always have. That's not new. Red Hat isn't causing the stigma. We've always had it. 
there's people out there that think if it's free, it can't be good. I'm going to pay Microsoft because, you know, that's a company and um, it's closed source. It's more secure. People make these arguments all the time. And when you consider open source, you have to wade through these comments and make a decision for yourself. And, um, you know, when it comes to these types of things, it's like um, companies are looking at what you're doing and they're taking note. You really have to say what you're doing and, and do what you say. Otherwise, people can't trust you. Breach the trust, you're done. But the as I was saying, the other consequence here is open source because the stigma is already there. Now you have Red Hat a company that was seen and literally was a champion of, of open source. You look at any of their PR announcements from the past, they are just bragging about open source and how great it is to be fully open and collaborative. Now, the company that made that statement is putting a paywall, sure, maybe towards one specific group of people, but they're still putting a paywall against an open source project, which might seem as valid validating the stigma that enterprises already had against open source because if Red Hat, that open source obsessed company, is putting a paywall in front of open source, they must agree that there's problems with open source. Now we have more stigma. So now Red Hat is affecting um, infrastructure migrations and system administrators that are giving up weekends every time they have to react to an impulsive decision. You have open source stigma, which will now increase. You have trust, which has been broken. They more than any company I've known, and probably even more than Microsoft, believe it or not, they are literally damaging their own customer base. And the last thing I'll say before I need to take a drink of water, um, when it comes to piracy, and I know that's not what we're talking about, you'll see companies like Adobe and all these others uh, before it was subscription, they'll say, we lost X number of millions of dollars. And they'll say that because they have data showing that their software is downloaded that many times and they multiply that by the cost of the product. But that's such a weak argument. I'm not condoning pir piracy at all, by the way. Piracy absolutely is a damaging thing. I'm not going to lie about that. It is. But the fact is, when someone is downloading something for free, they're not your customer. They never were. They never will be. You're getting somebody who only wanted to download it because it's free. You will not see a situation where people are going to get a Red Hat subscription. Oh, I'm going to just not download anything free because RHEL is paid now and I better give them money. Nobody's going to say that. And it's looking like Debian's getting a lot of traffic right about now, which is surprising because that's harder to migrate to from Red Hat than it would be to another enterprise distribution. What does that tell you? It tells you that people downloading your software for free were never your customer. You could never expect anything from them. And to benefit from them, like expecting a revenue stream from free software? No. How, why would anyone expect that? It's about the people that contribute to it, that make it stronger because they could, you know, apply patches and pull requests. They could find bugs. They can contribute. That's why, that's the value add. It's not money. It's the community and benefiting from the brain trust of the entire open source community, which ironically, is the very community that Red Hat owes for its success. <laughs> Interestingly, that's one of the arguments that they're that they're making to get people into CentOS Stream. The thing is, actually, there are so many. It's hard to to wrap your head around all of this. The people that they want on CentOS Stream are basically 
people that will report the bugs to them and all of them so that they don't make it into rail. But those are not the users of CentOS. The users of CentOS want the same stability as rail. They don't want to be bug testing or bug bounty <laughs> hunters or something like that. They want a stable distribution. And rail will come, okay, so you pay for rail. That doesn't apply, it doesn't translate that way. The people selling appliances, the licensing model for REL does not work for them. They cannot license seats for their appliances. That's not how the appliances work. That's not the business model that they have. It doesn't translate. Um, they're expecting to see more customers. Red Hat is expecting that with this move, they will see more customers. They will see the people who are running Alma Linux and Rocky and Oracle will move to REL. That's not going to happen. And somebody should... I'm sure somebody told this internally when this was being discussed. This does not mean more customers. It's like the, the argument that you're making with piracy. They're going after the freeloaders. They don't want to call them pirates. It's not piracy. This is open source. Right. The value of open source is not the code. When you're selling a product based on open source, your value is not the code. The code is open. Anybody can see it. Anybody can copy it. Anybody can improve it. Anybody can distribute it. The value is not the code. The value is the ecosystem that you create around it. Is the support agreement? Is the expertise that you have because you're the one releasing it and working with it and knowing it intimately? It's the the support that you get. It's the the infrastructure that you have around it. It's the support system. It's the community that you create around it. It's not the code itself. It's nothing intrinsic with the code that's valuable. That's why the code was being published before. And the thing here is that they're going to push lots of people away to different distributions. And when you, as we were talking before, on an enterprise environment, when you migrate all of your thousands of servers to a distribution, you're not coming back. You're not going through all the process again. You're not moving from Ubuntu or Debian back to Red Hat or Red Hat-based distribution if they are doing stuff like this. That's not going to happen. If for no other reason, you're not going to suffer through the whole process again. You're not going to spend all the, the effort and the money and the time of going through all the motions again to migrate back and change your applications again and your scripts and your tooling and your reporting and all of that. As the moment that is gone, that's never coming back. And they're just pushing people away. They're pushing companies away. They're pushing their customers away. Um, again, <laughs> the ridiculous aspect of all of this is that a company that ships the code from hundreds, if not thousands, of different open source projects, big and small, to which they are not paying a dime, even if they are contributing fixes, and to be fair, there have been fixes contributed from the downstream freeloaders, as they call them, back to Red Hat, but they never mentioned that, so let's continue. They are using and shipping and packaging the code from thousands of projects, hundreds, thousands, I haven't counted the, the packages that they have available with Rail. Whatever, it's besides the point. They're shipping all of that, they're slapping the Red Hat logo on top of that, and they're selling and charging for that. And they don't see the irony in then turning around and say, okay, I've built this on top of all of the work from all of these different people and all of these different projects and groups. Now I'm going to sell it to my customers and make my money from the code because apparently that's where they see the value from. And now nobody can use that code to build anything else. Again, even yep. if that does not breach GPL, that goes completely against the spirit of GPL. 
Has Oracle responded yet? I haven't seen it, but I was just curious if you've they seen haven't. anything from them. As far as okay. I know, they haven't. None of the, the freeloaders have responded yet other than saying that they are looking to alternatives. So uh, the reason I ask real quick is because there's a very easy way to know if there's a legal reason why Red Hat can't do this. We don't have to research this ourselves. We know it's the case whether or not Oracle sues them. If there's a reason why Red Hat shouldn't be doing this, Oracle will will absolutely sue them. If Oracle doesn't, there likely isn't any any legal grounds against it. That's just my personal opinion. Obviously, it's kind of a joke, but at the same time, I mean, if I, I am curious what Oracle is going to do. But here's another um, awkward and kind of spooky thought. What happens to a company when... This, something like this backfires, they lose their customers, they lose their relevancy in their own industry, and their sales are pretty much down consistently, what happens? They become SCO. It doesn't stop. They're not going to say, a company's not going to say, oh yeah, we were wrong. Uh, no, they're going to die on that hill, and then they're going to try to lash out with litigation if uh, this doesn't go their way. So it doesn't stop here. I'm not saying I know they're going to become SCO is just hypothetical. But when you lose your relevancy, litigation is all you have left. That's a, a pretty worrying thing right there. And if Red Hat becomes the next SCO, that's even more terrifying to me. <laughs> I would assume it has crossed their mind that they should just buy off the freeloader. But the way that the projects have been set up, precisely because Red Hat has pulled that stunt with CentOS, makes it impossible for them to be acquired by Red Hat. Um, it's that first you ignore them, then you laugh them off, then you fight them, and then you buy them. I just saw that joke on Twitter. I found it amusingly appropriate. They cannot do the last step here. Even though they have boatloads of money, they cannot buy these projects off. Um, I would assume this would have been one of their first ideas. Let's just buy them off before they take off so that they are cheap and, they, and we take them off the table and the problem is solved. The way that these projects have, have been structured, this is not possible at this point. So they're probably not going to there. But this brings to light a few other issues. Quite a few episodes back here in the podcast, I brought up the topic, we brought up the topic of reproducible builds. A reproducible build, just as a refresher, is a way of packaging the information that is required to create a specific binary given a specific set of source code. Because differences in versions and in libraries and in compiler flags and all of that will affect the, the produced binary file, so it will be different depending on those factors. A reproducible build means that you can create exactly the same binary given the same parameters and the same versions and all of that. Red Hat has never produced information or delivered information to create reproducible builds. It's interesting that they haven't, because in a scenario like this, if you had that information, you could just take the CentOS stream sources, find the right moments in time, either, if not for through any specifically smart method, just brute force the commits until you find one that builds exactly to the same code that they are releasing with RHEL. And they want to avoid that. So they have never created that information. And it's interesting that they have never delivered that information. <laughs> Again, in the light of stuff like this, it's interesting and it's more than interesting, but <laughs> it makes you feel if this isn't more premeditated than just some decision that they made right now. On the interview that the guy gave, 
And again, he's. I'm talking about an interview that Mike McGrath gave to Ask Noah, another podcast. It was released yesterday or something like that. Um, if you're interested in this, you should listen. It's the just skip to the 20 minute mark. It's from then on. It's the interview, and you'll try to rationalize the decisions and what went into it. Um, they are intentionally making it harder for the freeloaders but they are gonna hit so many unintended targets with this and they are gonna be victims of this as well earlier today i saw a, a tweet from one of the contributors from apache httpd um that basically summed up to this and i'm gonna try to quote him apologies if i can't um he never had the problem with Red Hat being downstream from him until Red Hat started having a problem with others being downstream from them. That's going to create tension between different projects. Probably Red Hat submissions upstream are going to take a while longer to be accepted. Probably changes that Red Hat flags as important might not make it to the front of the queue as they have so far. Um, and it's a pity that this happens because Red Hat has shown themselves to have great engineers, capable teams, people with the know-how to create stuff and fix and add new features to to open source projects everywhere. And it's a <laughs> I find it appalling and painful to, to see a company with such potential make mistakes like this that anybody could see would be a mistake. I'm I know great people inside of Red Hat that I am sure have spoken out against this. They are great names in the open source world. They would never go quietly under a decision like this. I'm sure it has been argued that nauseum inside of Red Hat and still this prevailed. So it makes you wonder if IBM had any hand in this. I think it's a combination of everything we've just mentioned. And I can't say why I feel this way um, because I have to keep, you know, there, it's not like I know anything that's going to, that would possibly be a tabloid news thing. It's nothing on that level. I just always try to respect people that talk in confidence. But because um, the question could be, and, and I think you mentioned this, you know, speaking up inside Red Hat, I just don't see it. Uh, what I just don't see a company that sees IBM as like a dark shadow and no one's going to admit that because they're, they want to keep their job. They're not trying to upset the situation because they have a mortgage to pay. It's it's not as easy as speaking up, especially when people are being laid off and all these different things are going. Some people might have spoken up and some people not. It's not that, you know, anyone's instilling fear. It could just be, you know, in their own minds and it might not even be a real, they, maybe they can speak up. But the fact is, I mean, it's happening and it's unsettling. But the other side of this is, you know, talking about the, the disingenuous comment there's been a few people commenting already on Twitter where they've said, okay, you know, open source software, you know, volunteers and all these things have basically created your company. So um, the idea being, if if you think uh, payment is needed here, great. Um, if, if you feel like your people should be paid, then maybe the other people that uh, led to your success should be paid as well. I mean, if you, Red Hat, feel like there needs to be money then put your money where your mouth is and give the money to the people that helped you um, rise to the top. But considering they're laying people off, they probably don't have the money to do that. But there's no other way. I mean, they're just being a hypocrite. They're saying that they, they're tired of freeloaders when Red Hat is one of the biggest freeloaders of all. Their entire company 
is built on free software. You can't make this stuff up. It's like, what are they thinking or are they thinking? Is common sense a lost art nowadays? I just have no idea. It goes to the way that they see value in their products. This argument that they make only makes sense if the value that they see in the product is the code itself. And the code itself is not at least entirely created by Red Hat. It's taken from the upstream projects. Anybody can see this. And that's the beauty of open source. We work on each other's code and we improve it and we make it better. And they'll come back with, okay, but these guys, they're not doing anything with the code. They're just rebranding and repackaging. Okay, feel free to point out what level of differences will it be acceptable for these distributions to no longer be seen as just copying your distribution. Because... Like I said before, the value of Red Hat is not the code. The Red Hat value is the ecosystem. And they right. themselves should realize this. The Red Hat is a big name in the Linux space because it has a lot of deployed units and it has a lot of deployed systems. And that's why developers target Red Hat and develop applications that work on Red Hat because they have lots of potential customers for those applications. When you reduce yep. the pool of acceptable targets for a potential developer, you're going to be squeezing the value of your own product. By reducing the number of Red Hat compatible, and here I mean binary compatible, which is what which is what Alma Linux and Rocky claim and Oracle, you're going to restrict the, the, tar the potential target for developers to just the rel deployed uh, systems. And those are far less than all the rest. Um, CentOS stream is not an alternative regardless of how much they try to say it is, because of the nature of CentOS Stream and the speed with which it accepts changes and fixes and corrections and all of that, it breaks binary compatibility, if not daily, then every other week. And for good reasons, because it might just be trying to fix a bug. But that's not what people want from that operating system, regardless of how much Red Hat would like them to use it that way. <laughs> They are just seeing value in the code and that's not where the value is. And right. again, it's dangerous for that company of that level of open source involvement to see value in open source that way. It puts a lot of risk on the development process because if that mentality, if that mindset propagates upstream, when the projects will only start working on fixing their issues and improving their products, if they are being paid for, open source dies the next day. Yep. Let's talk about another aspect of money for a moment here that I don't, I don't know if this is really being focused on. I always recommend to all enterprises, every single one of them, that if you decide that it's best to adopt an open source project, a Linux distro or anything else, and that's the company decision that you've made, Maybe you're saving licensing fees that you wouldn't have to buy because you're using this open source piece of technology. Maybe you're using Proxmox instead of VMware or XCPNG or something, the list goes on. Um, my opinion is if you're saving a bunch of money by using open source, give some of that money that you're saving back to the community for that particular project to help them because you're benefiting from them. And if a company is making money and they're saving money by using something, give some of that money back. That just makes sense. We can fund open source projects. But here's the bigger problem. Imagine for a moment, you're a company that switched to either Alma Linux or Rocky Linux or one of the others. And, and you thought it was a great choice and it's working out very well for you and your servers are great for it. 
and then you decide to donate money to Rocky Linux or donate money to Alma Linux or one of them, then what happens then when you've donated to help push a project forward and Red, Set, Red Hat is saying, no, we don't want that project to go forward. Wait, what a, wait I, I'm a big company and I just donated $50,000 to one of those or whatever the money is. And you're telling me that that project can't exist just because you don't want it to? Like people, companies are donating money. They're supporting this. I mean, you there's stories about companies running this enterprise Linux offshoot or that one. And which is a big bragging right for an enterprise distribution because, oh my God, that big company is using us. How, how great does that feel? And maybe that company is donating money. But then what? Now that donated money that the company wanted to go towards the health of that project now can't result in health of a project because Red Hat says it can't continue. Um, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. Like people are donating here. It's not just... I mean, yeah, enterprise servers are a big deal, but companies are donating, giving back to these projects. And now that money is going to be money that the project may not be able to use because if Red Hat doesn't want them to exist or could cause them not to exist, they will. Let's get the comparison going here. Um, imagine if the Wine project closed their sources and Steam no longer could deploy Wine as the basis for, say, the Steam, the, the console, the Steam Deck. For example, imagine if they closed those sources. Okay, now we're not going to let you use our source because we don't get paid to do it and it takes a lot of effort and you guys are making lots of money out of it and you're just repackaging and using it as is. That's true of any open source project that's delivered with any Linux distribution. This isn't new. This isn't just a problem that Red Hat woke up one day, oh, we have this issue. There are countless of respins and different distros that are built on top of the code from other distros and they only change a line of code or they don't change anything at all and they just rebrand it and distribute it or they just add a package or something like that. At what point does Red Hat consider them to be sufficiently different as to avoid this problem? Also, as long as they close the source and their licensing agreement for their subscription does not allow you to redistribute the source code that they, you get as a paying customer, how? what is the channel to go ahead with the derivative from Red Hat, even if different enough, and I'm not talking about the freeloaders as they call it here. Imagine you wanted to create something based on RHEL. What's the process for that? Is there an avenue for that? Is that even possible going forward? Or nobody can stand on Red Hat shoulders anymore? And this was an analogy that was used on Noah's argument. Uh, Red Hat is fine standing on everybody else's shoulders and creating a product of that, but nobody can stand on Red Hat's shoulders. And he tried to to work around the, that question and all of that, and oh, but that's not the thing. It, this is just a copy. This is not standing on shoulders and all of that. Okay, then how, what's the threshold for being considered different enough? I would love for them to be specific about that. Because they'll have to be specific. They'll have to be specific at some point. Because they're going to be facing the issue with the appliances. And that's an unsolvable problem unless they do something about this and they make it clear and they make and they give the companies that have the appliances a pass forward. They have to be clear about this. Or they will be challenged in court with this. The, 
Fortinet, large companies like that, they're not going to take this in stride. They're going to have to find a solution for their problems. They're going to have to find an alternative. And they're going to have to ask this question to Red Hat. And at some point, Red Hat is going to have to answer. And if it works for them, it has to work for everybody. And, and when, at what point do we get to sue? Do we get to sue because uh, money that we donated towards a project is forced to shut down? Uh, are we able to sue because we have, have another migration to do that we didn't intend on and Red Hat promised us this or that and we, we believed it and we did what we did? Do we get damages for that? Um, it's costing companies money. Um, I, I'm, I know there's protections and you know legal things and all this, but it does bring that to light. At what point do we get to say, "Hey, wait a minute! Like you're doing harm, and we need some re recompense for those damages." I, I'm not sure what can or can't be sued on, but I can almost promise you there's at least one thing in there that they could face lawsuits on, and I feel like. This story, like we, we always say in the podcast, this is a developing story and we're going to come back to this. And usually we do. Maybe it's the next episode. Maybe it's two months later and we'll say, hey, do you remember that security story? Well, they just found out this. Um, we're going to, this is going to be the mother of all. We're going to come back to this stories because uh, believe me, we're not done. We're, we're probably more in the middle point, believe it or not. And I know that's not what, not what anyone wants to hear, that we're just in the middle of the story. We're not even close to the end. We're, we're getting close to the, the end game, but we're not even in the end game yet. And where does it end? It's going to, this situation right now is going to define open source forever. And anything that's in the GPL or in this license, that license, that's resulting in this damage might possibly see adjustments in the licensing to protect this situation from happening again. This is going to change the enterprise IT industry forever. It's changing Linux forever. It's changing open source forever. Red Hat had that big of an impact on everything, and now they're having a negative impact on the same. And people are going to remember this. We still talk about SCO, and they still end up in the news every now and then, believe it or not. And Red Hat will similarly be the same thing. It's just going to be another story in the ongoing saga of Linux and enterprise people and customers and stakeholders are the ones caught in the balance. <laughs> I'm actually interested in, I'm sure he has been asked, I just haven't seen the, the answer, but there's this person who's always very considerate and polite and careful with his replies. I'd love to hear Lin Linus Torvald's answer to this. Oh, gosh. I'm you know, I feel like the old Linus, I'm not saying he's that different, I don't know, but you know how he used to be grumpier than he is now? Um, so he must be doing something right if, if he obviously, he's probably a great guy. I don't even know the guy, I never met him, but I would be interested to see if he had something to say about this. I I know he has opinions. I mean, that much is 100%, <laughs> we're 100% sure of that. The, the difference is, is it going to go through his filter and actually come out? Um, is he going to give a middle finger to Red Hat like he did NVIDIA? Uh, you never know, but he might do nothing because, you know, sometimes it's, you know, a person like Linus might be tired of people curious what computer he's running every day of the week and his opinion on this. He probably gets tired of it, to be honest. Yeah. And he's publicly claimed to run Fedora, so he's at least Red Hat interested. Um Let's see. I would love to hear from him. I don't know. He's, he might go a different. He might have a different opinion than me about this problem. But this really, really does not make open source look very good. And like I said, 
the bug doesn't stop with Red Hat. Red Hat is using up upstream code. If upstream has the same mindset as Red Hat, we're in for a lot of problems because they won't be able to forbid specifically Red Hat from using their code. That's actually one of the provisions in GPL. You can specify somebody not being able to use your code. It's either open or not. Um, they can't just single out Red Hat for not using their code. It's going to be interesting, and I'm sure, again, this has to have been part of the discussion, the discussion inside of Red Hat when this was considered. What would be the response from the open source world to something like this? Again, if you listen to Mike McGrath's interview, he was surprised by the reaction, which is baffling. Somebody in his position being surprised by the by a decision like this. <laughs> Where was he when CentOS 8 change was announced? Didn't he see what would happen right now? It, this is even worse than what happened then. Um, well, I'll go. I know this is going to sound this is going to be very direct, but I but I mean what I say, and I say what I mean. If you are a key player in open source or Linux and you don't understand the reaction, what did I tell you when, I think it was, was it the last podcast episode where before it started, I, I made the comment, this is going to explode. I knew it was going to explode. I haven't even finished reading the story yet. So if you work in open source or Linux and you're a key player here and you don't know how this is going to play out, you don't deserve your job. You don't. You are in the wrong seat. You are underqualified period. There's some things about the, the Linux community that are so obvious because uh, Linux people, when we have an opinion, we make it known, right? We will let you know in the comments. We Everywhere you go, you'll find comments. We let you know. There's no possibility to understand your job if your job is Linux and not understand how this was going to play out. That, to me, means he's underqualified for his job and needs to step down. He's not someone that should be in that seat. This is like um, somebody who says they're a painter, not understanding the consistency of paint, or someone who um, is a, a clerical worker and they don't know how to type on a keyboard. There's certain things you have to understand for your job. And when it comes to Linux, you have to know that if you're serving the community, you have to at least have a one-week understanding of the community because I promise you, within a couple of weeks of working with Linux, there's certain truths that you will know right then and there that will not be in question. And to be surprised by that, to me, is an admission of being underqualified. And the last thing that you want to do is antagonize the people that are creating the code that you're selling and that you're seeing value in. That's right. the absolute last thing that you want to do. And this decision, it makes the opposite of that. It makes everybody mad at Red Hat. Again. Yeah. I wish I like could remember who it was on Twitter that called Red, Red Hat Red Flag. I like that. I wish I could give him credit for that. That's pretty yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, let's see. Um, stick around, people. We're definitely going to come back to this. If not next week immediately, then probably the one after that. This has to have some type of development in the coming days. There's at least going to be the the answer from the, the distributions that are based off of CentOS. And I don't just mean the ones that they call the freeloaders. There's going to be all the other groups and all the other projects that work on top of CentOS that are going to have an opinion about it and are going to have to make a choice, either moving to stream with all the issues that come with it or find somebody else to base their work off 
from or some other solution for their projects. Because again, Red Hat is not just hitting the ones that they want to hit and stopping the projects that they want to stop. They're going to be affecting the whole ecosystem around open source and a lot of different Linux distributions are going to suffer from this decision. Let's see where this leads us. Thanks everybody. It was a pleasure. Um, a bit more argumentative than usual, but let's see. Um, until the next one. Thank you everybody.